0: Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, we're at Radio Days Europe in Vienna to discuss the future of the industry with BBC Radio Chief Bob Shannon. And back in Blighty, we consider how the Cambridge Analytica story could change the way Facebook is regulated. Plus, will we be watching Dex's Saturday Night Takeaway? Who killed the NME? And why are the BBC having more presenter trouble? And in the Media Quiz, we play the good ideas game, not to be confused with the bad ideas bear. It's all to come in today's Media Podcast. And joining me today, former journalist and TV exec, now Director of Broadcasting at City University, Liz Howell. But Liz, not for much longer.
2: No, no, I'm retiring in effect next week and it's really quite a frightening thought. I've been in the industry for 45 years, lots of ups and downs, but you know, it's a great place to be.
0: What are you going to fill your time with?
2: Sleeping. You're Still going to come here, I hope. I hope so, yeah, that would be nice.
0: Uh, I mean, there's, obviously, we could do a whole you know, debrief about your 45 years. Oh,
2: absolutely, but I wouldn't bother if I was you, life moves on.
0: But in a nutshell, I mean, such a ridiculous speed of change.
2: Absolutely, but you say that, but the basic things remain the same, you know, the reporting, the interest, the people's stories, the platforms change and the technology changes, but the basic nosiness about other people, that's always going to be the same.
0: Well, someone who's always nosy is Alex Hudson, Deputy Editor of Metro.co.uk. And Alex, as if it wasn't obvious from your haircut alone, um, you've just been at (laughs) South by Southwest. Uh,
4: My haircut is a lot more sensible than it ever has been. It's very mean for you to say. I think it's lovely. <laughs>
0: it speaks to the hipster within, I feel. <laughs> you can put a jacket on, but still. Uh, how was South by Southwest? Tiring. I got back
4: on Tuesday morning and I'm still on US time but it was brilliant and I've never seen a bigger crowd for a politician like Sadiq Khan went in he was followed around he was mobbed by people, sort Sadiq, of people Khan. Trying, Sadiq Khan everyone was trying to hug him I thought um, you were going to say Bernie Sanders no like it, it was it was madness it was complete and utter madness he was followed around like this sort of deity that I, I've never seen in British politics and I think the Americans have just taken to him
0: what what do people in Austin like about Sadiq Khan
4: um, I think the fact that he's a little bit different to the sort of American normal of what you get in politics. It helps that he's a Muslim, it helps that he's from London. It, 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 he has that perfect storm, particularly in Austin, particularly to that South By crowd. He is very appealing to that, that sort of person.
0: Liz, this is the kind of event you can go to now. you have yeah, more
4: time absolutely. on your hands. Absolutely,
2: sounds fascinating. I can see why it works. He's completely different and quite exciting.
4: Big themes from South By? Um, I think the big theme was that there wasn't any big themes uh, the second thing is that the that's what
0: you'd say if you'd spent the whole time drinking though I,
4: depressingly I didn't even get drunk um, <laughs> the, the social network's finally taken responsibility AI was a huge thing but they we're expecting that in the coming years um, and that There wasn't that one breakthrough. All of the sort of startups we met, there wasn't that one thing. Twitter, I think, was 10 or 11 years ago. There wasn't that sort of app where you're just like, wow, that's going to take over the world.
0: Mm, Okay. Well, if anyone can get me free tickets to go, I'd love to go with this show one time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A very subtle. uh, Yeah, thank. I thought I delivered that in a very discreet way. Uh, Right, let's start our news stories this time with the BBC. And freelance presenters there have accused the Beeb of forcing them to form companies and work as freelancers, leaving them with big tax bills. Uh, Liz, what happened here?
2: Well, I think it was in a lot of industries, this is what happened in that if you were employing, say, what we might call talent as talent, they were encouraged to be on what we used to call Schedule D, which meant that the the presenters or whoever they were formed their own companies or acted as freelance operatives and therefore could deduct a lot of tax. Um, What really this leads to is that they're supposed to be able to replicate themselves so for example if it's liz howell great star um goes on schedule d and is a company if liz howell is ill she has to send another liz howell you've got to be able to replicate your work and hmrc have become an awful, an awful lot stricter about this and it's in education as well with lecturers and things like that and are stamping down on individuals and companies and charging them back tax the presenters are saying they were encouraged to do this by the BBC. The BBC is actually, at this stage, it's not exactly been taken on but it's not coming forward to, to discuss this because they're looking at what actually happened. Um, but I do think not necessarily in the BBC, but in the media industry generally, presenters were encouraged to do this. And it was pretty annoying for the people who were on payroll because these people were trousering the, the tax, in effect, and you could argue that their accountants should have told them. But it's the tightening up of the loophole that's caused the problem. So, in a sense, the problem's caused by HMRC.
0: And we saw some of these BBC presenters talking in Parliament about this this week, didn't yes, we? Yes, so
2: what they're saying is, that you know, it ain't my fault, Gov. But the fact is, in the end, they did it. And quite how they'd be able to get to address on the grounds that they were told to do it I don't know I mean if somebody tells you to go out and commit murder in the end it's not the person who tells you to do it who's necessarily at fault if you do it it's a very complicated chain of responsibility
0: Alex do you have any sympathy for these BBC presenters because it's not you know the same as the stories we've seen around the pay gap where you're talking about people with six-figure salaries here this is people like Stuart Linnell who presents breakfast on BBC Radio Northampton you know you can imagine he's just trying to do the right thing as a BBC man and, and, and getting stiff I thought that was the normal thing so when I joined the BBC in 2007
4: all of the presenters I think there was one maybe who would who was staffed but the rest were all on these contracts so I just thought that was the way it worked well it was
2: the way it worked then
4: and and so I just I just didn't quite it didn't quite compute about why they were doing it because you know my knowledge of tax law now as a senior person is a lot better than it was back then. But
2: it is interesting to know that in other organisations, for example, in the university, when this was coming over the hill, everybody who was in a company like, and doing it this way was warned. About two years ago, they were sent a letter, and as a manager, I was asked to inform them. So where did that go wrong at the BBC? Maybe that's the issue.
0: I mean, it is a mess, I must say, I mean, because I present programmes for the BBC and I've got the reverse problem, which is I'm a freelancer, but they're insisting now that I get paid PAYE. That's exactly right. That's what's happening. Which is very bizarre.
2: Well, it's not. Because I clearly am a
0: freelancer. I don't work for the BBC.
2: There's a certain threshold. And if if you're doing a lot of shifts, they want to be sure that if you're a company and you're being paid as a freelancer, if Ollie can't turn up, Ollie too is there. Hmm. That's the point. Um,
0: I wonder how many of those sort of slightly crazy ideas come out of the restrictions we saw on the BBC licence fee like for a long time, feeling that they just desperately need to save money.
2: Absolutely. It's all to do with transparency. And in fact, this is, as I say, it happened to all sorts of organisations. But when it's the BBC, it's right there in the public eye. And because it's stars, we are all very interested. And we're always, because we're human beings, fascinated by how much other people, particularly celebrities, earn. So it's like a perfect storm again. Yeah. OK, well,
0: since you mentioned stars, let's talk about ITV's big story. Uh, which has been on the front of the tabloids all week as well. Of course, their talent trouble after deciding to go ahead with the finale of Saturday Night Takeaway without Ant, who has been charged with drink driving, of course. Uh, Alex, this would have been a fascinating fly-on-the-wall week at ITV, wouldn't it? You'd love to know how this conversation went. It would have been very good. So the the idea is that Ant
4: and Deck without one of them doesn't seem to make any sense like the amount of people who can't even tell which one is which yeah and like so we must remember which one. was the tall one <laughs> yeah. and so just those sorts of conversations of can you so it's like can you have take that without Robbie Williams can you have Phil and Fern without Fern the answer is yes you can you can bring in Holly Willoughby but it's very very rare that those things continue after one person leaves and for ITV, it makes perfect sense. If you think, if anything, the viewing figures are going to be higher this week than they ever would have been because of the amount of news coverage around it and advertising with pay for it. And there was, there was that massive, perhaps overblown Ferrari around this holiday thing, the Orlando holiday, which I still don't quite fully understand. So this is
0: that they'd given members of the audience as a prize, a competition prize, yeah. the opportunity to come and see the season finale at Universal Studios Florida, which presumably was a big sort of marketing deal for Universal. But still... I mean, you could send them off on holiday without seeing Ant & show, and I'm sure most people would not feel cheated by that. So, yeah, was that the Trojan horse, Liz, or do you think they had to do the finale? I think they probably
2: had to do it. And and also, the scheduling of these things is unbelievably complicated, and they've got the bookings, and they've got everybody lined up, and it's going to be really difficult. In a way, it could be a great advantage for ITV, because the Ant & Dec phenomena would have to end sometime, you mm. know? And so maybe this is a chance to try out other people. I've got quite odd views on the, the talent thing. What happens is that, like right, when I started GMTV, for example, there was, I, I didn't, start GMTV all by myself, I was the head of No, no, just yeah. drop it into the conversation but anyway, yeah. When I was doing that, um, there was enormous pressure from the board to get a star you had to get stars, you had to get stars, you had to get a known person, and in, in the end that didn't work terribly well for various complicated reasons I then went off and started a much smaller channel called UK Living, we didn't have the funds for enormous stars, but I got some really, really good people, fantastic people, who became even more of a star than they'd been before uh, with that opportunity, so this thing about talent, it's a bit like everyone always wants what they know works and they're terrified of taking new steps well this time they've got to do it but it's a bit
0: like I mean it's a strange maybe crass comparison but it's a bit like when the Harvey Weinstein thing unfolded and it wasn't like it wasn't like any Hollywood film producer he was like the Hollywood oh, it's film like the big it, one right yeah, yeah. so in the i mean, this isn't just like any bit of talent this is like ITV's it's, biggest it is the country's no, favourite talent but isn't, but isn't it worth change? them actually just saying you know what let's just cancel it
2: no it would be ridiculous it's a show it's not just about him and I think they've done the right thing and I think Alex is absolutely right they're going to get some sort of advantage from it because everybody's going to be interested to see if it works it's a bit a better example I think would be Top Gear you mm. know where everybody actually in the end and there was a certain schadenfreude about that crashing and burning when it first came back wasn't there so it'd be very interesting to see how this works but don't overrate talent talent's only talent it's really important to note that there's new talent coming up and particularly it's the, the ITV in that instance it, this doesn't necessarily apply but I feel it's a huge responsibility of the BBC to bring on new talent okay. and not I'm, to to, I'm glad, it, I'm glad with
0: to agree but I, I disagree if I was ITV I'd just swallow I'd swallow the loss I'd just say you know what Ant right. isn't Ant without Ant bring in new nah, people like the, the, without but you, not on this format Perhaps perhaps one thing on Saturday,
4: is, Perhaps It's perhaps not on Saturday Night Time. Yeah,
0: yeah, because like on Britain's Got Talent. Fine, let Emma Willis do it. But <laughs> Ant and Dec Saturday Night Takeaway, that's all I'm about really, them and their personality. I'm getting, I'm
2: getting quite worried about you, Ollie. this fixation with Ant and Dec. No, People the the don't even go. It's a, know,
0: let's be honest, it's a bit shit, that show, isn't it? It's basically Noel's Hills Party, but
4: we them presenting that. So
0: you wouldn't step in if, if ITV oh,
4: rang Ollie you up really, tomorrow? Ollie, yeah.
0: yeah. Ollie, Ollie Mann, b- guest presenting.
2: You'd be there.
0: I actually wouldn't. Really? Genuinely.
2: Too much of a risk. Yeah, far too much of a risk. I think it's going to be really interesting and good. Oh, I agree. It'll be interesting. I just think ITV have made the wrong choice. (laughs) As Uh, long as they get the viewing figures that satisfy the advertisers, that isn't really an issue. OK.
0: In other continuing without a presenter news, uh, Radio 2 will be continuing without the unofficial voice of the station, travel presenter Lynn Bowles, uh, who is leaving after 18 years. Um, Nobody expects to have the same job in media for 18 years anymore, do they? No.
2: I think it's really important that we have older women on radio, particularly say, in some areas of of BBC radio. It's fascinating when you do any research into this to find out that the people most likely to consume media, particularly radio in this country, are women from the north of England, over 50. Who is the person least likely to be on the radio in this country? A woman aged (laughs) over 50 from the north of England. It's a huge disconnect. And women over 50 from the north of England are probably reasonably, you know, compliant with it. They like their radio too and all of that. But at some point, the word's going to get round and... They're going to realise and they're going to be, look what happened with Me Too, who'd have expected that? There will be a reaction and older women need to be taken account of more. There's a very interesting initiative going on at the BBC at the moment called 5050, which is run by a presenter called Ros Atkins, and he's actually doing research into how many women are on programmes and programmes have got to sign up, They haven't got to, sorry, they're asked to sign up and just count how many women they've got, and it's quite competitive within the BBC. Ooh, look, PM's not doing as well as today. And it's a really good initiative and very interesting. And as always, the figures show that they're not doing as well as they think they are.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, this thing about supplementary characters on the radio as well, isn't it? You know, we talk about the big presenters, but for for years people were still saying, where's Comedy Dave when Chris Moyles well, moved the to and it's not just radio. radio,
2: it's TV as well, like David Lamb doing the voiceover on Come Dine With yes, Me. Yes, you know? yeah. That's
0: your way into the industry. So, so we talk
4: about the, like the lack of new presenting opportunities outside of YouTube. It's getting your like one bit. It's getting a two-minute section every hour. It's getting that you present the weather at like Thomas Schaffernacher, or everyone knows who he is. He does three minutes an hour on the BBC News Channel.
0: Uh, now let's talk about Facebook and proof of something we've long suspected that companies are manipulating our personal data for political ends came this week when the Observer reported Cambridge Analytica executives using bribes and tactical smear campaigns against opposing candidates. Um, Liz, how big a scoop was this for... The Guardian as a, as a news group and I guess to a lesser extent Channel 4 and the New York Times I think it's an well.
2: amazing scoop I mean in a funny sort of way Alex and I were talking about this earlier and saying well you know they would wouldn't they and we're not that surprised you know. but actually the outing of it the fact that it's now in the you know in the, in the chatter sphere it's really really important and I think that Facebook is going to have to really take account of this I mean when all that money is wiped off their share price that's what really hurts and it's something is going to have to be done it's, it's one of the most fascinating stories I think in the last year Two years, really interesting. And
0: Alex, how does Facebook's defence stack up, which is that they did do something, they did it years ago, um, and so there's nothing to see here now?
4: Until yesterday, it didn't really stack up too much. The whole point was that Zuckerberg was silent, and most of Facebook was silent. They've come out sort of yesterday and today and really started <coughs> trying to own that conversation badly. And I think... For better or worse, Facebook doesn't know everything that's going on on its platform at any one time. So I, I think
2: possibly. The whole nature of Facebook was that it was the independence of the individual, wasn't it? That was what it was all about in the first place. And, and
4: so I think there's something in that defence, but it's, it's not a reasonable defence that a company that of that size and that magnitude and that importance can possibly defend, and it should have done it sooner. It had the, like, Amal Rajan in the, uh, on the BBC a couple of days ago wrote a really nice piece around just... Here's how you deal with a crisis, and it's everything that Facebook hasn't done.
2: I mean, I, I don't do Facebook and I don't do Twitter, and it's not because I'm a dinosaur. Even if I am a dinosaur, it's because I've absolutely decided I don't want my details out there. I really don't want that. I don't want people. But, but Most at of what the public
0: clearly don't feel like that. Absolutely, do they?
2: but things can change. Well,
0: will they? I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? Because it's what yes, it is part of the national conversation, sort of. But I still wonder how much that's being dominated by people who are already interested in news and media and politics. What the general sort of men and women in the street. Aren't they happy exchanging their data for a free service they like? I,
4: so perhaps the reason that it's such a big scoop is that people didn't realise it went to this extent. And so, it, or that
2: it was political. I don't think they mind their data if it's about buying cashmere jumpers or something, to be perfectly honest. But if it's about putting somebody in power, then that's a different so story. it's
4: the power of that scoop. It's a case of everyone knew that sort of, like, ephemerally that this was the case. But no one knew to the extent and to the level it was. And I Have think, you seen
0: anything that surprised you?
4: No, not even for a second have I seen anything that I didn't
0: already know And you you're on Facebook. I am we're, unfla- we're friends. I, I'm, I should say, <laughs> in the interests of uh, clarity. I should think there was
2: things about Cambridge Analytica that we didn't know. For example, the honey trap issue with the uh, the Ukrainian women that were sent to, uh, 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 the tempting of politicians and so on. But I, I think, and
4: also, so there wasn't much new there. And I think in May, when GDPR legislation is, and I need to not be boring about this. I've given I've given lectures about this, and I got told off for being too dry. Um, when it comes, and you you own a lot more of your own data anyway. So in the EU, yeah. at least and facebook will have to address this in may you can you own that data and every every company you give your data to you have they have to make reasonable grounds to delete it if you ask them to but and that's a huge we... change in in legislation
2: but you have to ask them to so stuff that's been compiled prior to this may i'm quite confused about whether or not that's going to be allowed to be used
4: um, so we're still working through that, but it's, it's any, any data, the chances are that we'll delete all the data and start again. Yeah. Because we'll, we'll, have, we'll have to have a direct clicker box of every bit of data that we're accessing of any person and on
0: any third, from any third-party sites.
4: Uh, uh,
2: and it sounded like a real pain having to do this when this happened. You thought, like, oh, why are we doing this? And now I think it's absolutely vital, it's really th- important. But we
0: know there's a problem with fake news, and obviously it's but, a problem mm. with things looking like information that uh, it, aren't, but if the political campaigning that people are seeing is legal as in it is it's not paid for in rubles but it, it you know it is actually legal it's just that it's targeted against people based on their interests why is that a? If political advertising allowed to exist, why shouldn't the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats target me based on things that I've said in other posts?
4: UK, it's. I think it's fine because it's. It's clearly labelled. You know, paid for by X, paid for by Y, and as long as it's clearly labelled, so the same as all of our adverts on our site, mm. they they all say like advertising on them. It's. It's clear that it's an advert, and if it's said paid for by X, if it's if it's a party political thing, that's absolutely fine. And I think it's clever that they're using data to target the people. Okay, sort of swing so what's voters. the problem then? What's it's, the thing? It's it's the videos that you know 17 things and the listicles and the the sort of stuff that is is not clearly labeled as being an advert it just looks like it's a viral video or it's factually incorrect
0: if it really is the case that you know a romanian family in salford have 17 kids and they're all on benefits if that really is a true story and it's reported by the daily mail and it's one of those mad stories that's you know clearly the exception to the rule but like it goes viral but it is factually true Mm -hmm. Is there a problem with UKIP paying to have that story distributed to my Facebook feed?
2: The the problem for me is the sheer enormous scale of this, the the fact that it's millions of people's data and it's being processed in a way that's going to sway public opinion in the way that those stories aren't. I know I'm not putting this very well, but I think one of the issues which you raise is, well, it's all legal, but often things that are bad are legal until someone makes them illegal. And what's happening is that this is going to have to be looked at because it's deeply dangerous.
0: And looked at by who? Because we've discussed before, I mean not with you to be fair, but you know, previous guests have said the government have no chance of resolving this here in the UK, but now the Senators are involved in Washington as well and the EU too, do you think governments it could? Be could?
2: The, the global, it could be global regulation or global um, legislation and that in itself is going to be absolutely that fascinating would be amazing. as well.
4: Like Transnationalism and the actual meaningful global policy would be a huge step change and would be a wonderful thing for global politics the global economy, but the likelihood of that happening is sadly very limited.
0: Now, it was the annual Radio Days Europe conference in Vienna last week, so we sent broadcast consultant and media podcast regular Paul Robinson there, so you didn't have to go. Paul spoke to Elvis Duran, longtime host of New York's number one breakfast show on Z100 about making radio kinder, Daniela Linzer of Austria's national station Kronheit on making the move to management, and Midge Ure on getting his songs onto the radio. But first, here's Bob Shannon, director of BBC Radio and Music, on the BBC's digital strategy and why it's not yet time to turn off
1: FM. Since the launch of DAB, radio has had to take notice of the challenges and the benefits of the internet. And the BBC is no exception to that. And, and indeed, radio in the UK, I don't think, it, it is an exception to that. We've got um, a multiplicity of of challenges, but with those challenges come great opportunities, and we need to reach our audiences in lots and lots of different ways with lots and lots of different content, of which DAB continues to be an incredibly important pillar in our distribution strategy. I think we've made a lot of progress. I think we all feel we've made a lot of progress. I think we all feel um, that uh, DAB has provided us with opportunities to... Enhance the performance of radio in the UK considerably uh, through great new content offers. You know, six music alone reaching nearly two and a half million people. These have been brilliant innovations that would not have happened without the advent of DAB. And I guess what I think we all feel um, around um, the radio table in the UK is that we're making progress. We're not quite there in terms of switchover. Um, we should review it again in a few years' time. Uh, and see where we've got to.
5: You talked about um, headsets and about uh, headset sales booming and of course there's smart sets now doing amazing numbers and everywhere you go people have got something plugged into their ears listening but you said not all of it is radio. So how do you get a bigger share of those ears?
1: I I guess we've got to make sure that we're providing relevant content that that meets the different listening needs that, that audiences have. I mean radio is a very important listening need in itself and By radio, I guess I'm saying linear radio um, that a lot of people do listen to. Um, We should never forget, we have 32 million people who listen to the BBC every single week, um, loyally, uh, and and they have high expectations. And serving those expectations and needs is the number one priority that we've got. But we also know that we're losing uh, our impact amongst the younger audiences, who aren't necessarily satisfied by linear radio alone. So it starts with a little drop-off of share because their um, uh, capacity to consume other things is far greater. Um, and in the end, we're seeing a little t- tailing off of, of the reach um, in the UK amongst 15 to 24s. So as responsible public broadcasters, we've got to be mindful of that and wonder what it is that they are consuming and and might want to consume from their public service BBC alongside the linear radio. And I feel that this is where um, the IP IP world gives the BBC a great opportunity to develop uh, our existing audience-facing services uh, and to provide content that isn't necessarily just from those linear services to reach audiences who aren't necessarily listening to them um, and to bring them into the BBC family uh, to get benefit from their public service broadcaster, and that's what we want to carry on doing.
5: So maybe new voices, new styles, new tones, maybe things the BBC finds hard to do because it's the BBC. I
1: think, I think it's a massive creative opportunity for us, yes. I think there's, there's a huge potential for innovation. I'm very proud of the creativity of what we've got and what we do. You know, There is no broadcaster on planet Earth that commits in the world of drama, like the BBC in audio drama, Radio 4's commitment is phenomenal. Its success story is phenomenal. It's an incredibly precious part of our public service broadcasting. But um, because it's for Radio 4, sometimes I think it's hard for people to imagine what it could just be without being for a brand. And, and I think that goes for all of our station brands. They're so strong, it's hard for content producers, programme makers, uh, to to get out of the mindset of thinking about how they can cater for a brand. Uh, that's so powerful and I think that's one of the areas I want to explore creating content that's from the BBC not first and foremost for a station and you know what if in the end as I expect much of that content ends up being broadcast too it will help refresh and enhance the stations at the same time.
5: Alvis Turand you've just finished a masterclass you were inundated packed to the seams.
3: Look, the world is in a very special place, and it's something that all of us in every country around the world are experiencing, and that's the need to feel loved and feel good and feel positive. We forgot the key. The key is one-on-one communication. The key to being successful in radio, I believe, is showing people your heart and and telling them they need to be showing people their hearts as well. We need to be in this communication with each other, this conversation with each other that's positive positive. We need to lift people up, and it's not being done enough. People are—in the 80s, I know, in the the 1980s in in the United States, radio was about being old guys in the morning who were in a bad mood and made fun of people. That's that's over. That doesn't work. We have to do the opposite. How do you do that? It's a challenge because some days are better than others. I'm surrounded by people who are driven— And who are in that? They're on that climb to to live great lives, and because that is so infectious, it works. I'm surrounded by great people. But 22 years is a long time. How do you keep yourself fresh? I keep myself fresh because I have fresh thoughts coming through every day. With interns, our internship programs from the colleges, huge. Uh, We always have young people working on the show to keep us plugged into a whole world out there that I'm not plugged into. I'm I'm a 53-year-old guy. What do I know about dating? You know, uh, I've got it. I need to know something about it. I need to know something about what it's like going to college, and I'm not doing it. So surrounding yourself with people that are great keeps you fresh. Do you feel under any pressure
5: being at number one? Because getting to number one is one thing. I mean, I heard some guys today talking about being number two, number three in their markets, wanting to be number one. You are number one, have been for a long time, but you came from way back in the pack. So what was it like moving from being, I think, 18th, 19th, you said, through to number one?
3: How did that feel as you, you climbed those ratings? I'll tell you how it feels today is I don't feel like we're number one. I've I've never felt like we were... Look, it's so impressive to meet someone who has a radio show that's number one. Wow, you're number one in New York. It, every once in a while, I actually stop and go. Wait a minute, we're number one and we're in New York. I don't think about it. I, I can't think about the race. I don't. I don't think about ratings. We just think about going in every day and doing a great show. Isn't that weird? Um, are there any
5: things on taboo on your show? Are there things you say, no, no, that that's not going to work. We would never do that. That's not the Elvis Duran show.
3: Well. I always want our place, and this has always been the rule since long ago, it needs to be a safe place for women. Uh, Women always win on our show. Um, If there's ever a debate with a woman, we make sure everyone's heard. We've always maintained that women win on our show, and it's so interesting that that is the nature of of our environment in the United States right now especially is uh, women's rights, making sure women are heard, make sure they're taken care of, they're not squ- they're squashed to the floor, and those days are done. So this movement just reflects what we've all always. And
5: how do thought. you do that? I mean, you're probably going to say I talk to lots of women, but how do you do that as a man who's 53? How do you understand the issues that women, modern women, are feeling about now, and really want you to maybe address on
3: the show? You listen. It's it's simple as listening. You know, I think the, the key to every successful show or personality or whatever it's you got to open your ears. Hear what they have to say. Don't dismiss them so fast.
5: So, Danielle Linzer, Vice Programme Director of uh, Hit in uh, Austria. First of all, um, what's your impression of Radio Days?
6: What I, as women in radio, like very much, of course, is that there are really a lot of special sessions, also targeted two women to encourage female talent female hosts at the moment there's a great panel going on about successful women in radio and we had great inspiring speeches from joe stanley and on and on
5: yeah no it's good and you can see real change i mean there's still a lot of work to do what do you think are the barriers though why do women not necessarily see radio as a career option for them
6: I think they do, but I think it's the same everywhere you, you start out. Um, but maybe in the past we have been lacking this, this really good role models that show that it's possible to make a career in radio and have a family and be successful and develop your talent and just to have the guts to do it. I think, that's, I think it's harder for
5: women than you're saying because you've got so many more things to balance.
6: Of course, it's hard if you balance a, f- a family and your job, not only in radio, in general.
5: Men are parents too, of course.
6: Of course, yeah. But um, especially in Austria, um, we still have um, the situation that most of the work concerning parenting ships and homework and stuff like that is due to women because there's uh, not enough support from the government from from the states that that, um, concerning like places in kindergarten that are offered and stuff like that that make you easily do your job be happy with it and also with your family and kids
5: so let's talk about corona head you are a dj and you've become assistant pd how did you make that transition and do you miss being on the air
6: well, I've been. Um, I started out my career at a local station in Vienna, and I had um, had the opportunity and the luck to bring two stations to life. I was part of the, the, the pioneers of um, broadcasting and commercial radio at the station 88.6 in Vienna, and after two years, we moved on and had the opportunity to start the first national commercial broadcasting station Corona Hit, and and that is, i'm very proud of her i'm i'm very thankful for and then i did the morning show for 15 years on Hit. 15 years yeah, is a 15 long years, time yeah. yeah i had an interruption when my son was born yeah so i had a year off and got a taste of what's it like not to stand in the studio and being on the at five o'clock in the morning. And to be really honest, I kind of quite liked <laughs> yeah, being in the yeah. office. Okay. Yeah, well, but then I got back and did another year, and then my PD gave me the opportunity to step up and and work with him. And for me, it was like the the the, the next genuine step because I did um, an MBA in media management, and um, yeah. I wa- I don't want to screw up. Then I want to learn first and um, make my. How do you put it? Um, das Lehrgeld zahlen. So I want to pay my, my. Pay your dues. Yeah, my dues. Say and, it again and, in German. I love that. Mein Lehrgeld zahlen. That
5: sounds great. Sounds so much better.
6: <laughs> yeah, and then we'll see what the future brings. <laughs>
0: If you've never been to Newman Street in what estate agents like to call no-ho but the rest of us call Fitzrovia, you might never have stumbled down a cobbled alley, looked up at the sloped roofs and attic windows and wondered what lies beneath. Well, wonder no more, because this is where you'll find... Run VT, the post-production house where the media podcast is recorded. Run VT has 15 offline and 2 online editing suites, a base-like grading theater, a dubbing suite, and an idiot-proof voiceover booth for all your post-production needs. To see what the studios at Run VT can do, don't miss When News Goes Horribly Wrong on Channel 5, Sunday the 8th of April at 9 pm. Who knows, you might even be the star. Go to runvt.tv now. To edit your next show,
3: small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust new Custom Spray 5 in 1 gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey,
0: it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. Time for some media news in brief now. Liz and Alex are still with me, and Alex is fuming about what Bob Shannon said (laughs) in Vienna. just the fact
4: that he said that the future isn't all DAB. Of course, it's not. No, who owns a DAB radio except that that car that they bought that has a DAB radio that they didn't choose? The future is internet radio. The idea of FM existing in ten years is preposterous. The idea of DAB Whoa, existing no in ten years no, is no, preposterous. No, the idea of
0: FM, Liz, back me up on this. I don't FM care. will definitely. <laughs> I really I'm not saying care. you care. Oh, sorry, I'm backing you up on this. Uh, should we talk about Norwich? Um, they've made a bid to become the new regional home of Channel 4 uh, after uh, the channel's been told to move some staff out of London.
2: Liz, tell us about this. It's a bit of a compromise, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is, really. I mean, because Channel 4's in this peculiar position of having um, its, its licence and being supported by advertising, but also, you know, having, having a... a Public service remit. Um, One of the things that it was rumored a long time ago, two or three years ago, that one of the deals that would be done with Channel Four was that it would have to go into the regions more. Channel Four, in a sense, is a bit of an an anomaly. It was set up in order to encourage independent broadcasting and to, to break the stranglehold of the duopoly, ITV and BBC. And of course, that's that's long. You know, that's a very old story now. So one of the questions that has to be asked is, what is Channel Four actually for? You know, because it's exactly the same thing. It can't. It shouldn't be sucking the commercial um, oxygen out of the atmosphere. Yet it exists. It has a license, and it, it does some good things. In order to compensate for the fact that they're running a straightforward commercial broadcasting. Organisation pretty well. The compensation is that they have to go somewhere else. And it's a bit like the BBC going to Salford. In fact, it's very much parallel to that. I don't see why it shouldn't be Norwich, nor it sounds great to me. It's probably more likely to be Birmingham because Birmingham's bigger and it's right in the centre. But, you know, good on Norwich. Okay, well, let's take that
0: parallel then. The BBC moving to Salford, has that really made a difference to what audiences hear in terms of it sounding more diverse and, you know, reflective of the country? I think it has I think partly
4: because people, uh, the guests are unwilling to travel from London to Manchester I think that's that's a trick you've definitely
0: seen a lot of professors from Manchester University <laughs> on BBC Breakfast haven't you Yeah, you never used to
4: <laughs> and you're, you're pulling in and then so you think about the pool like Leeds is what two hour drive away Liverpool's an hour drive away you're, you, it's pure geography It's it's not anything more complicated than that of you're more likely as a producer to get someone who's half an hour away, whose taxi
0: can't break down somewhere on the M1, rather than... OK, but Channel 4 don't make programmes in that sense from their offices anyway. So it doesn't anywhere. matter. It doesn't matter I... where
2: they are. It's like moving the DVLS to Swansea.
0: But Exactly. So if it doesn't matter, will you hear the difference?
2: Yeah, because the, the ordinary the people that provide all the support services, you know, the cafes and all that, they'll come from Norwich. And whether you hear the difference or not doesn't really matter. It means that some of that money that the government's putting into media is going to be put into the South East or the Midlands or something like that. Hmm. That when I say the South, you know... Norwegian. If Norwich
0: gets the bid, by the way, they've, yeah, just, they've just asked. Oh,
2: but it will be going somewhere other than Horse Ferry Road. More likely
0: Birmingham, though, do yeah, we think? that's what people yeah. are saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I should ask you, since you're here, Liz, and this is really your specialist area, I mean, looking back on your decades in uh, <laughs> this field as you approach your retirement, I should ask you, Channel 4 have also published their pay gap, male-to-female ratio, yeah. briefly on this, but it is fascinating, especially for you. It's 28%. Terrible.
2: It's terrible.
0: 28%. Channel 4 champion of diversity and inclusivity.
2: Uh, no, it's, 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 a, it's a shameful thing, and it's got to be addressed, and it's got to be across, addressed across the board in media. It's really just not they're, right. They're the worst, basically. Yeah, aren't they? They're worse yeah, than Sky, yeah. worse than Channel 5, Years ago, BBC. I wrote an article about... I went to a meeting at Channel 4, and I wrote an article for Broadcast Magazine, because at, the, at this meeting, waiting there and going through the meeting and everything, I didn't see a single woman over about 35, you know? And when they were all... The women I saw, all, it was a sort of jokey piece. They all had really high heel shoes on and things. And you thought, this is Channel 4? You know, it's really something they've got to address. Let's
0: talk about the week's print winners and losers. Uh, Middle-aged indie kids shed a nostalgic tear last week for the loss of NME from our streets. Uh, Although, if you ask me, we lost it when they went free.
4: I entirely agree with that. they, they watered their NME like, was the music bible and I don't want to hear entertainment news I don't want to see TV listings I want yeah. new exciting music and they, they had became a huge, pictures of Zayn Malik and ads. they had a huge opportunity <laughs> like, Im- imagine getting that level. so no one like, it's hard difficult to find a music audience because you have Spotify because you have iTunes and you find out all your recommendations from there or you Shazam something and you get that NME had a huge opportunity to have that return to that one voice where do you find your music news NME yeah. and it could have brought that back so every kid picked it up everyone stopped picking it up it wasn't the issue that the enemy didn't have a possibility of a future it's people stopped picking it up because it didn't have a
0: identity it didn't have
4: a Absolutely, didn't have a soul
2: yeah. I totally agree with that it's nothing to do with the platform it's to do with the fact it changed it used to be the go to place for your opinion and that changed And that's where they lost it.
0: Meanwhile, everyone at the FT was busy celebrating their Paper of the Year accolade at the British Press Awards.
2: Uh, Did they deserve Paper of the Year, the FT, Liz? The the great story that's really made the FT is the story of the President's Club and the undercover work done by Madison Marriage. So there's definitely something about the FT. It's on the up.
4: It, it's, a, it's a point around, like, quality of journalism, and I think they wanted to make a very clear point at that award ceremony that, that quality will prevail. Also, secret shout-out to
0: Jem Collins, who won the Jordina Henry Award. Old colleague, brilliant, brilliant journalist. The thing with the FT, though, and they are a great paper, but the thing with them is they have this sort of captive audience of, of corporates and companies that pay for the subscription. So people keep talking about oh, what a clever business model they've got because they're doing a specific news for a specific audience will pay. But yeah, but they always had that. They're still very they're brave. They're unique in that way. They're
2: very brave. They've got is got it, all it, it th-
0: brave to, to make good stuff when you've got the money to do it?
2: No, it's brave to take. On your potential advertisers and supporters by going to something like the President's Club. And it, there are other stories bubbling at the FT, which I'm not possibly at liberty to say, but they are they are tackling investigative journalism in the finance area, and that's a very brave thing to do. I know that that's 2018 and the award was for last year, but it's a zeitgeist that's going through the FT.
4: Yeah, so like compare that to NME that we were just talking about. So you have this guaranteed distribution model of however many million copies they publish. Okay, is it is it brave? Would it be a brave for uh, um, NME to actually still just report hard music news? Absolutely they took the easy option of just trying to be time out light mm-hmm. and whereas the ft have that subscription model they have the opportunity to do something really difficult like those stories take months and months and months to stand up that's and it's good proper thorough old school journalism that's a hard decision to make even with the business model to keep doing that okay
0: uh, alex metro now has a bigger total print circulation than any other paper you've beaten the sun i say you you work <laughs> in the online bit
4: yeah so yeah. uh ted young the editor of the paper deserves the credit for for maintaining that and uh, keeping that physical paper going. Uh, Metro. UK now is, of course, the quickest-growing news site in the UK, which will humble brag around. It's not a humble brag, that's just a brag, isn't it? <laughs> that is just a brag. <laughs> um, and, and to you be, can't have a humble To brag. be clear, Mail Online is still ahead of you, though. That's what you're chasing, um, isn't it? We're, I don't think we have the same model at the moment to, to chase, what, 220 million uh, monthly unique users. But where Quick is quickly growing, which is exciting, I think it's about value for audiences, all that sort of stuff. But the, pap- the paper itself is maintaining its audience so well, well,
0: absolutely well done to Ted Young and all of his team and again if I was to ask the straightforward question about business models regarding that isn't that easier to do when you're a free sheet
4: um, to maintain
0: circulation absolutely to beat but, the sun that people have to pay for
4: uh, yes but also it's making people read that paper and so what Ted has, Ted has done is spent a lot of time just firming up that so If you pick up a paper on one day, you'll see a certain thing every week. It's about that sort of appointment viewing, which digital always struggles with. And the Metro has spent a long time and a lot of effort, a lot of money, making sure that there are those appointment sections in that paper that you know, pick it up on Wednesday, you'll see this, pick it up on a Friday, you'll see this, and people continue to do that. And that's much to Metro's credit. Actually,
0: Liz, for London commuters, I would say, if you think back 10 years ago when we had that weird phony war, London Light, and the London Paper... Uh, I'd say both Metro and The Evening Standard are better quality now than they used to be.
2: I would agree, particularly with regards to Metro. I, I, as you say, you pick it up, you get what's on the tin, you know what's going to be in there, and it's also really clever at doing things about ordinary people, like, you know, the girl you met on the tube or whatever. I love that stuff. Sorry, I really do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're the person who reads that.
4: <laughs>
2: I am. I'm always hoping to be the girl on the tube, but it never happens. We get
4: emails about that all the time, even even to us. like People email in like, hunting for people, even away from that section, so we, 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 we try and help them out wherever we can. It's
2: brilliant. Are you the
0: person who reads the Society Stories in the standard as well. Well, I was who those were for. That is not me, I have to say. Some guy's cousin went to a party. (laughs) Give a shit. Anyway, uh, there's just time for our media quiz. Uh, This week it's about good ideas, shamelessly harvested from a session at Radio Days Europe. Uh, So buzz in with your name when you know the answer. Liz, you will say Buzz. And Alex, you will say Alex. uh, Here's question one Where do good ideas happen according to presenter Joe Stanley, former breakfast host at Melbourne's Gold 104.3?
4: Alex, Norris.
0: Alex. <laughs> uh, at the water cooler. No. Uh, great ideas happen in the shower or on a run or shopping or on the toilet, she said.
2: Or all at once? No, I don't think so. Uh,
0: here's question number two. <laughs> it's all still to play for. <laughs> Uh, who should not be writing your tweets, according to MediaPod regular Steve Ackerman, burst, MD burst, of something burst, else? Yes, the, runner,
2: the runner or the intern? Yes, I'll
0: yeah. let you have that. Yes, he said, Don't let the intern write dodgy social posts because you don't have the time. They should be crafted. You're fighting a battle for eyes and ears. Uh, sage advice, I feel. Here's question three What does Stax Williams from Z100 New York think should reflect your audience? What should Liz bu- buzzing with your name if you know the answer? Oh, Buzz. No, Liz. Oh, Liz. Yes. Sorry.
2: It's not the jingles one, is it? It is, yes.
0: Well done. Liz has won the competition as she Hi. approaches her retirement. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> the answer was jingles. Uh, Stack says the voices who sell your station should sound like your audience, and the tools you use to build station sound should mimic the tools your playlisted artists use. Which sort Does of makes th- sense, doesn't it? I guess.
2: Oh, I'm so chuffed. Does this make me a hipster? Uh,
0: mm, makes you better at quizzes than me. <laughs> Which is kind of cool uh, Liz, congratulations to you Commiserations, Alex Hudson uh, If you like what we're up to here on the Media Pod And you enjoy the feeling of giving money to people who desperately need it Then consider taking out a voluntary subscription Head to themediapodcast.com Slash donate And select an amount to keep us going all year round uh, I'll be freelance or PAYE You choose uh, Remember, you catch up with previous episodes and get new episodes As soon as they're released by subscribing for free On our website, themediapodcast.com I've been Ollie Mann, the producer of Rebecca Grisdale. Sherry, the media podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye bye.
3: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen